Today I welcome Annie Gent, head at Sherbourne Prep in the UK. In this episode, we talk about the importance of service and community in the prep school, embedding adventure across the curriculum, challenges and joy of a first headship, and the benefits of a pre-senior baccalaureate, not common entrance exam. How do you foster a sense of community at Sherbourne Prep? I think lots of schools, every school have a set of values. And we have a set of values, our dragon values, which is kindness, awareness, generosity, independence, perseverance and honesty. And actually, we actually live and breathe them. I, I feel quite strongly that it's easy to flippantly say, oh, yes, we have these values, but not actually do anything with them. So I feel that I'm here as a head to protect and nurture my school. So I hopefully I think people would think I'm very kind. And I am honest and I will hold my hands up if I made a mistake, but I'll also challenge things if it's not right for the children. And I think that sense of community for our children, they know that they can be honest if they make a mistake. It's not the end of the world. That's how you learn anyway. They know that they've got people to go to and that when they see kindness, they're kind. And you see it every day. And it's I overuse the word joy. It's a bit of a running joke now because there is so much joy in this school. But I think that's because our community really, we've all got the same aim. And it's not just us. It's not just the teaching staff. Our catering team is amazing. Our cleaning team, we, you know, we couldn't run our school if we didn't have these wonderful cleaners that come in really early in the morning and really late at night. And they're valued in just the same way. And our parent body, after a few years where we couldn't have them in, we just want them in. You know, it's, it takes a village to grow a child. And so we work together. And what kind of community building initiatives do you undertake at Sherbourne Prep? So there's sort of two strands, really. So there's your school community, and that's through, you know, a house system where you have amazing events. So the year eight pupils are looking after the tiny tots in reception through like house singing. Our coronation day was hilarious, total Sherbourne Prep bonkers. So we had jousting competition and, you know, you've got your year ones as the knights about to joust and their squires with someone in year seven. So you're building that sort of community within, whether it's not hierarchical, your older children are there to look after our younger children. So you've got that side of things, which is a school community. But we are also lucky we live in a town. We're very much part of the town community. So we had a community kitchen here, which is still going, but it was born out of COVID. I took my year eights. So we went and served lunches and washed up and that kind of thing. We want our children to not just feel that they're part of a school community, they're part of a wider community. So we had a big colour run and fun event for our first Saturday back of school. All the parents got involved. They came and did the colour run with us and came to play games and did cross country. It's really competitive. It was really funny. But alongside that, we raised money for the community kitchen by everyone baking cakes and selling them at the event. So I think our initiatives come from looking at what is around us. You know, you're not an islander school. And particularly when it's a school, a privileged school. You know, prep schools are privileged places. We're incredibly lucky to be here. And our children know they are and they value that and they want to give back because they can see. So our children are great. We have some Ukraine children here who just offer so much. And a whole group of girls piled into my study and just said, we want to raise money. How can we raise money? We think we want to do it like this. I'm like, brilliant, go and do it. So our children are proactive and that we support them. You know, if they've got an idea, Let's do it. If it's going to benefit our community, why not? And how do you instill service into a prep school? It's such an important age where they are developing, you know, kindness and, you know, helping others before yourself. 
you know, we're obviously in the digital age and, you know, as they leave your school and go into the next school, they go through a difficult time of early teens where peer pressure, digital access, this sense of being perfect and quite selfish, it kind of blows up more than ever. It's important that prep school to instill service. Absolutely. And that's one of our main drivers. So my deputy head co-curricular, really, he's the minister of fun. So part of his job is adventure, community and leadership. So we really highlight that community and that leadership. And it's very much the slightly um, army thing, I think, is that serve to lead. All of our children have a responsibility to their school. You know, the children that we have in all our children in year eight have an ambassadorial role. So they have to be working. Either it's the community, either it's sport, it might be music. And then within that, you have your sort of lead prefects. And our heads of school are chosen. It's a democratic vote. And they're chosen because of what they have given back. It's not, you know, I think gone are the days where it used to be, you know, the first team rugby player would get all the awards and celebrate it. It might be because if they're the right person, but it's much more about what are you doing for your community? What are you doing? When people aren't looking, that is kind, that is generous. And we celebrate that. So they get rewards. We've got a leadership program where they get rewarded for their leadership acts. And those leadership acts can be really tiny. And we keep saying it's those tiny things that make a difference. There's lots of people who can do a great big event, but it's what are you doing day to day? And we try to model that as a staff. So some people might think that all well, the children should hold doors open for our staff. No, whoever's in the right place should hold the door. You know, please and thank you is a given. You know, you walk past a jumper on the floor. What do you do? You don't leave it there. You pick it up. It's those little things that make everyone feel proud of their community, but they're also adding to making it a better place. And our children are very, very good at speaking up with that sort of serving to lead, you know, giving back. If there is a problem, they need to be able to voice it. If something hasn't gone well or if someone's been unkind, it can't go unnoticed. And our children are really confident to do that. They're hilarious, actually. They don't stop talking about what we can do to make the school a better place. And I'm really proud of that because they'll go out into the wider world and they'll go, wow, look what I had, what I was given and what I was able to do. And then that should give them a springboard, I think, for future because we've got to give our children the tools to be upstanding, decent citizens. It's getting on with people. I know the robots are coming and all that, but ultimately, you know, we're, we're not gone yet as a human race. And if we don't teach the children to be kind, to enjoy things, to model empathy, to get those things, then, you know, we haven't got really a future. So it's great that you're doing all, and you say it's the small things. The small things really do add up. But I'm also keen to know because a huge part of growing up and experiencing the world at primary and prime age level is adventure. How important is adventure in education? We don't talk about adventure as much. Oh, we do. As I said, my deputy co-curricular is part of his title is adventure. I think you've got to provide adventure for children. This is the glory years of education. It's the most exciting time. And you can throw out the rule book in a prep school. Yes, there are risk assessments and you have to get things across the line. But actually, if there's a will, there's a way. And I am incredibly lucky because I can drop a little bomb in somewhere. I go, oh, could we do something for Coronation Day? This was months ago. Before I knew it, this whole cross-curricular event, a whole day of amazing activities, as they ended in a joust, which was brilliantly exciting. When you've got a body of staff that goes, we can do that. That is so exciting. And, and we've got our head of humanities and trips and excursions who works for my deputy head. 
she's magic. I don't know how she does it, but every trip we do, if it's a tiny one, a micro adventure, which we send our children out, they go and map read and have to camp out overnight somewhere and come back to school in the morning to like the big trips, you know, this year we're doing Paris and Shropshire. We make these trips into such sources of adventure for them. So it's not just, right, you're going to go and see a play. It's what can you build around that play? What other experiences can you have within that trip? So it's a really exciting time for us because we don't want to just be, okay, we've got an English trip going out or we've got a history trip. It's right, what else are these children learning? So it's giving them a sense of adventure and wonder and to be really curious about what they're learning about, but also to bring it back to their education. So they've got this enriched education. When you've got all of those things, the children are desperate to learn. Couple that with feeling safe and secure and knowing that you are in a really wonderful environment just helps your children become even braver. So if they go, we want to try this, we'll be like, right, how can we make it happen? That's where you've got to instill this sense of anything can happen. Prep school is just magic. You know, we haven't got the zip wire yet. I have been nagged about a zip wire for years. I haven't got that yet. You know, if they want to, we did this amazing color run and that was a small adventure, but it was quite a fun one. Our year eights were desperate to do another one. Like go and do it. You plan it. I will help. That sort of can do attitude creates that sense of adventure, I think, because they're like, okay, I can do this. Of course I can. You know, if my teachers tell me I can, well, yeah, I can do it. We're in a really exciting time as a school where we're building all these opportunities, trying to do them on the shoestring because it's not an easy world out there. But give them this sense of when they leave our school, my goodness, what have they done? What have they seen? What have they been exposed to that has sort of set them prepared for senior school life? And yeah, it's just, it's really exciting. I'm off to London for a three-day residential next week. I'm not quite sure how we're cramming everything in. It's a vast array. We've got Hampton Court, we've got the Tower of London, we've got Wellington Barracks, we've got Houses of Parliament, we've got a It Goes Wrong show in the West End, we've got Chessington Water Adventures. So we try to give them a real breadth. So they're, they're learning, but they're also having fun. We're also taking them on the tube which I'm slightly nervous about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I tell you what, that is adventure. I mean, put me in the outback before the tube. Yes, I, I definitely feel. Dealing with, with London commuters, they are a breed unto themselves. I want to ask you about you know, how difficult is it to introduce this sense of adventure across a wide curriculum? Because you can understand it if being part of co-curricular and you know, adventure and outdoors and things, but how do you make sure there is a thread And I suppose adventure, when you break it down, is about challenging yourself to try new things because that's what adventure is. You just don't know. You have an idea as a direction you may go, but you'll uncover things as part of it and you want to peer behind the rocks and to try anything. Has it been easy to bring it in? Children are innately curious. So if you've got a body of children who are bouncing around, you've got a body of staff who go, right, how can we do this? How can we give the best education? to these children, you are set free a little bit. Of course, there's a knowledge-rich curriculum, but we're not governed in quite the same way. We don't have SATs for children that are doing them now. We've got time and space within our day, within what we do, within our lessons, within the really broad range of curriculum to play around with it a little bit and to go off piece because I think the worst thing to do is for a teacher to go, I've got my PowerPoint, And I need to get through this lesson. That's not what education is. What education is, is 
steering children and giving them the tools to go and explore it themselves. They're brilliant at this age. It gets much harder as they get to teenagers because they need to be spoon fed or want to be because they've got to go through that set of exams. We don't have that. We've become a PSB school, which is the pre-senior baccalaureate. And alongside what we do in our curriculum, it's all about learning different skills for the future. So we've got collaboration, leadership, independence, communication, thinking and learning and reviewing and improving. So every time we're teaching a child, not just things they need to know, it's what are they doing? Also looking at how you communicate today, how are you collaborating with your peers, for example. When we're doing that, we are already looking at how we can do cross-curricular links because you don't teach in a silo. You can't. You can't say, I'm an English teacher, so I'm only going to do English. You know, you look at what's happening in history at the time. You look at might be what's happening in the news at the time, and then you link things together. So in our year eight program, for example, choosing a really, not a dull one, but an easy one, you know, we've been teaching Animal Farm alongside in history where they've been teaching communism. So you link it together. And then, of course, they love it because then they can have all their mock debates and challenge authority. And it's really exciting. And we try to link everything we do. We look really carefully. So we had our poll to poll day last. It was actually in December, our poll to poll day. But we looked, it was all about sustainability, science and history predominantly. But alongside that, we were writing postcards. So you bring in your English where they were painting the postcards, looking at what's happening to the poles now. And that all came through art and DT. They had to pull the, um, the explorers when they were pulling all their packs along the ice. We reconstructed that for them. So then they had their physical kind of endurance that they had to experience. So I think when you've got a body of staff, a group of staff that talk all the time and are constantly looking to not change for change's sake, because there's a lot of really good stuff and, you know, that happens but how we can develop it and how we can make it meaningful for children. They learn better anyway when they can connect the dots. But you've got to have a group of people that want that to happen. And I'm very lucky because I do have a group of people that we talk all the time and they go out there and they come up with these amazing ideas and they work collaboratively, they work together. And then it makes it an easy way of educating and it's so much more fun because everyone's working together. We can definitely get the sense that you you thoroughly enjoy it and uh, I can tell that you have a lot of fun leading the school. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You mentioned that you've moved away from common entrance in favour of the pre-senior baccalaureate. Was that obviously intentional or was that driven organisational change or government? I mean, what was the reason and why did Sherborne Prep decide to do this? Well, to be honest, we were already doing it. We already were valuing all these future skills. And we'd come out of common entrance years ago in the humanities anyway. So the humanities are a really good example where you could see all of the PSB core skills being used really effectively. We were also doing them in the other subjects, but you had a pressure on the, for these final exams. Now, we all know children are learning differently to how we might have learned. I still found exams really hard when I was a child, I was a pretty able person. But to put everything in to a one set of final exams is not the right way to educate. Probably go into government and talk about GCSEs further down the line. <laughs> but we were doing all these things. It doesn't change our curriculum. We're still rigorous. We still have high standards. The children are still getting an amazing education, but they get to do it in a more positive way. 
So they're still going to learn how to do exams, but they're not having to wait till the summer to do it. It's really difficult as well when you've got a group of year eight children, quite a number of them will be doing a scholarship program. Then they tend to be, bar one or two, finished in February. Then they get to experience all these wonderful things and you've still got a whole group of children trying to get through that exam. That is not right. It's not equitable for children. So we have moved to how we assess. It's so exciting, the PSB, because it's brought it in from year three up, but it's, to be honest, pre-prep and reception is what they already do this. That's, you know, it's child-led learning. And it's really exciting because we've seen that our children are really invested in their learning now. So our year fives and sixes did these amazing mini PSPQ projects. They're phenomenal. Our year eights, they did a final set of sort of formal exams in February. And now they're doing an amazing curriculum, but they're also doing their PSPQ project, which they are going to be presenting in June. And that's really exciting. I mean, some of the topics that have come out, I mean, I've got one that is looking at the safety of electric car windows, one that's looking at the different acoustics in different opera halls across the world and how that has impacted on instruments. And it's these are really high order kind of concepts and arguments that these children are now able to tackle. So they're still going to be assessed, but it's not in a, we're going to do an English exam now, we're going to do a French exam. They're already being assessed, but they're given a kind of flight to go and achieve what they really want to achieve and go and be interested in the things they're interested in, because not everybody is going to be interested in all subjects at school. So it's really exciting. I can't wait to see them. You're a short while into your first headship, and I'm going to say it's a honeymoon period because I can really tell that you're like a kid in a sweet shop. A, tell us how it's been. Have you learned anything about yourself during this initial period of ahead that you didn't realize that you were like or that you've learned new skills? Well, I was never going to be ahead. But if I suppose I was ever going to be ahead, I always loved being a deputy pastoral. But if I was ever going to be ahead, it had to be at this school, I suppose, because I think this school's magic. It has been a whirlwind because within the first two weeks of becoming the head, we had our inspection. So that was interesting. And we're delighted with the results and they were brilliant. I think they saw us for who we are. I think that I'm finding that my brain is much quicker and more adept than I realized it ever was because your days are bonkers. And in my deputy pastoral world, I was still really busy, but you were sort of focused on one area of life. Every day is a whirlwind, but I don't have a thick skin. And I think it's hard not to take things personally and no one means it personally, but you just want it to be right. And you want things to be the best they can be all the time. And of course, that's not actually possible for anybody. (laughs) So so I'm having to try to measure myself a little bit and know that I am human and I can't do everything. So I suppose I've learned that. I've learned to be a part of a community, to lead a part of the community that is like ours is a real gift. And I feel incredibly lucky to have such an amazing group of people to work with, children and parents. It's phenomenal. And it brings me an awful lot of joy to see what a strong community. And I know other places don't have that. I learned that I can survive on less sleep, but I'm quite looking forward to having some sleep soon. (laughs) Well, yeah, as a mum of a young family, again, are you finding the time to get the balance right? You've taken on a new role. You talked about looking forward to getting sleep. There was an overcommitment to start with when you take on a new leadership role because, as you said, you've 
is a daunting task ahead of you and you want to do the best you can do and it requires time. How do you manage to balance your time or are you still working on the balancing time? I think it's always going to be a work in progress, isn't it? Because when you go into education and particularly, I think, independent education, you don't go into it for the money. You go into it because you love educating children. So there isn't balance because you're in school a minimum of 66 hours a week. You're just actually physically in the building. I am really lucky because my husband is also in education and he's also passionate about pastoral care. So, And our children were born into us both being very passionate about what we do. I think it's a case of, you know, that you've got six weeks of kind of not chaos, but it's going to be really, really tough. But then you have a few days off. And I think you have to protect when you do have time off. It's really important to not feel guilty for that and to have time and space because you're better for it when you've had a bit of a break. And it's a brilliant job teaching and looking after loads and loads of children. And I think our children, they feel really proud to be part of a school community as well. So it's a bit of a way of life, I think a bit institutionalised really. And do you think that the course of adventure for you is just embedded in the role as a new leader, that you have to embody adventure because there's a challenge every single day? Yes, I think it is. And how can you run a school and want all this for your children if you don't absolutely fundamentally believe it and you're not going to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in? You know, so yeah, it is absolutely that. No one ever goes into a headship role and thinks I'm going to know it all. I think every day there's a curveball. If you go into it with a sense of fun and determination to make sure you're doing the best for your community, that's how you go through each day in a positive way. I think that's how I'll be. I haven't had time to think about it, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you're still in it. You'll be finishing for the summer. I mean, do you have plans, as you say, to sleep, to recharge, to reboot, which I think is essential? Yeah, we have. And we do. I've got a mega family. They're enormous. Most of us are in education of some description as well. So we're proper family dynasty. So see family, do a bit of traveling, have a bit of space. Keep trying to write my book. I started, I, I will write one day, I will be a novelist, but I get sidetracked. <laughs> and so it just sits there. So yes, I will definitely look forward to the summer and having some time with family and time away to not constantly think about work. And then get ready and prepped and rebooted to start another, another cycle in September. And that's really exciting, I think, to start in September at the beginning of the year. You know, we know where we're heading. We know, we know what our aims are. We know where we want to be so we can all go for it. Yeah, it's exciting. I want to ask you to look into your crystal ball. And what would the future of, let's say, prep school education look like in 2050? You know, how much different is it going to be than now? I don't really want to look that far ahead. I'd like to say I think really positively about it. I think it's going to be very difficult. I think the next few years for prep schools are just challenging in itself. I hope that they remain a really rich, happy environment where children get to explore so many different sides to growing up. I know that technology will be coming in and I think there's absolutely a real place for it. And, you know, I think if we use and teach children effectively how to use AI, that's going to be great. But I very much hope that human element is still there. You know, that old schoolmaster or schoolmistress that can do everything, you know, the one that's on the cricket pitch, but then in the netball court and then is teaching a bit of Latin and in the boarding house. I hope that that is still there because I think that that's something a little bit magic to the prep school world. And I very much hope for all children that they're not just drilled into certain 
what they've got to learn, you know, the, if you've got to do SATs, if you've got to do this, I'm hoping that we'll evolve to enable children to have a real sense of purpose moving forward because I think they've been through a lot in the past few years. And I think there is that sense for a lot of young people, like what is the future? Where is the hope? Where is the joy? Because we're not in a society at the moment, even though we're in a very privileged society in the UK, it's not easy for young people. And there isn't the opportunity, there isn't the sort of jump into, you can go and do this. So I very, very much hope that we bring that back and we instill in our young people a real sense of purpose and that they are valued and that they can find their pathway. And it's a really good pathway. Our children have got to be able to travel. We've got to welcome in people from other countries. This is, you know, it's a global society now. And so I hope that happens. That's my hope. I think there's quite a long way to go. And I hope everyone, I think all people that are educators want the same thing. They all want a springboard for young children. And I think we'll all fight tooth and nail for it, actually. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.